John chapter 15. It says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. So we begin this remarkable portion of the Upper Room Discourse in verse 31 of chapter 4, the Lord said, Arise, let us be going. You know, you think what's happening at this point in time, he knows within hours he's going to be on the cross. And he's telling these guys that he's going to go. The Comforter's going to come. He's speaking to them. But remember, he was fully man and fully God. He had human emotions. He had spent years with these guys. He's looking at them. And when he says to them, arise, let's be going, what was his emotion? What was he thinking? These are the last things he would say to them. And as he looks at them relative to all that's swirling around, he says to them, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away every branch that beareth fruit. He pruneth it that it might bring forth more fruit. He says, abide in me. As the branch cannot do anything without the vine, neither can you unless you abide. You think what he's saying. You know, in this chapter, 12 times, if you read through chapter 15, you have the word abide. Abide in me. Abide Over and over, he's appealing. Yes, he's leaving physically. He's coming in the person of his spirit. And he wants us abiding in his person, to abide in him. Eight times in the chapter, we have the word hate. And he says, understand that if you abide in me, the world will hate you. It hated me before you. It will hate you as well. Doesn't say if you go to church, the world will hate you. Doesn't say if you claim to be a Christian, the world will hate you. He said, if you abide in me, his kingdom is not of this world. It is distinct and completely different. If you abide in me, the world will hate you. And he says, the fruit of abiding, he tells us in the middle chapter, that you love one another. No, no greater love has any man than this. He lay down his life for his friend. And... Uh, he says, I call you my friends. This commandment that I give, love one another. That's the fruit of abiding. Now, he begins by saying, I am the true vine. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. And it's the last of his I am statements through the Gospel of John, the seventh time. You know, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like the burning bush, you know, the I am that I am. Here for the last time now, he says, I am the true vine. The genuine vine. The real vine. The original vine. 
and, and there's a definite article, he is the one. It's emphatic. I am the one, the, the, the genuine article, the true vine. And he places himself in that in contrast to all other vines. And as we go through scripture, there are more than one vine. These Jewish men that are gathered around him understand the idiom that he is using. Because Israel considered herself the vineyard of God, a vine. During the Maccabean revolt, John Harkanus, when he minted coins, put vines and clusters of grape on them. In the entrance to the, the doors of the temple, 60 foot high, there were gold vines and grapes there. This was something they understood well. But the interesting thing is every time in the Old Testament that Israel as a nation is compared to the vine in the vineyard, it is always in the context of judgment because of their declision, because of their moral failure, because of their idolatry, because of their corruption, because of their, there's no loving kindness, there's no justice. And God is looking for good fruit, he says. So every time he uses the idiom for Israel of the vine, it is in the context of God dealing with them. It tells us this in Psalm 80, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it and didst cause it to take deep root and to fill the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent forth her boughs unto the sea and her branches unto the rivers, why hast thou then broken down her hedges so that they which pass by do pluck at her? Return, we beseech thee, God of hosts. Look down from heaven, behold, and visit this vine. You know, it says there, look, this God, you've taken us out of Egypt. You've given us freedom. You've emancipated us. You've set us free from Egypt. Then you have planted us, brought them into Canaan, drove out the other nations before them, planted us while we have deep root. Then you've put hedges about us. You walled us about with your word, with your power. You did everything necessary for us to flourish. And yet, why have you allowed us to be broken down? Why are the walls gone? Why are all those who got, go by plucking at us? Return, Lord. Set us free. And it's the, it's the process of human existence. Try to imagine a country that begins in liberty. And as time goes on, it falls into moral corruption. Political anarchy. Bitterness. Depravity. Something that God had seemed to bless here for the Jews. They understand what he's saying when he tells this parable of the vineyard. The one, of course, that we're all most familiar with is in Isaiah, where it says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song 
of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What could I have done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof. It shall be eaten up. I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. I will lay it waste. It shall be pruned, not be pruned or digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain not upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So there was this vine that they understood. It was not far into them as he says, I am the true vine. But certainly he's setting himself in contrast with their heritage, with their legacy. Israel had failed nationally to be what the Lord intended them to be and bring forth the fruit God wanted to see them bring forth in the earth. Oh, it wasn't that there was never fruit, a cluster here and there. There was in Jesus' day, Zechariah and Elizabeth. There was John the Baptist. There was Simeon and Anna in the temple. There was Martha and Mary and Lazarus. But nationally, as a whole, Israel had been a failure. In fact, at this particular time, the greatest failure of the nation is at hand. And Israel, through their Sanhedrin, their spiritual leaders and so forth, are about to do the most outrageous thing that the nation had ever done. They are ready to take their own Messiah and brutalize him and rip out his beard and scourge him and beat him beyond human recognition and spit upon him and nail him to a cross and watch him die. The vineyard had not certainly accomplished what God intended it to be. And we're not surprised. Jesus is keenly aware of this. He tells us in Luke's gospel, then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and he led it forth to husbandmen and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season, he sent the servant to the husbandmen that they should give unto him of the fruit of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. And again he sent another servant, and they beat him also and sent him away empty. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son, that it may be that they will reverence him 
when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come and let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do to them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen, and shall give the vineyard to others. The Lord is not at all naive in regards to the evening that he's living through, the time that's being fulfilled relative to the Old Testament, the past vine. He's keenly aware of what is happening there. Look, there is a future vine. It is forming around us today. And it weaves its way around the drug addict on the street with crank and heroin, fentanyl, major killer in the United States between 15 and 49, through the harlot, through the child trafficker, up to the politician, to the Hollywood mogul, to the billionaires who meet and decide how they can control us because they're smarter than we are and we need to be grapes on their vine. The Bible calls that the vine of the earth. Revelation says this, and another angel came out of the altar which had power over fire and he cried with a loud voice unto him that had the sickle saying, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. For her grapes are fully ripe. It can mean rotten. They're fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle in the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even into the horse's bridle for the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. The world is not getting away with anything. This present vine through social media, through every form we see, every day in our lives, winding its tendrils around everything, is in you know, the ultimate sense going to be a complete failure. God is going to harvest it and cut it down and bring it to the grapes of wrath into you know, Armageddon. He's going to deal with it. So there's a future vine. But look, it's flourishing around us right now. It touches all of our lives. We get infected with it. We get touched with it. He says, I myself, in counter-distinction to all others, am the true vine. Jesus doesn't say, I'm merely like a vine. He says, I am the vine from the foundation of the world. And every physical plant that's a vine only reflects, the creation reflects things of the creator. He says, I am the true vine. He's, he's pointing to himself. This, the third choice is that. That he's the one. And now you look at it and think, well, all these failures, is the, the vineyard's owner going to abandon 
the project of growing fruit? The answer is no. Far from it. He's going to gather more fruit, sweeter grapes than the world has ever known, with a different vine, a different method, a different cultivation, a different production. We know that, of course. But the mistake that a lot of people make is they think, okay, God is setting aside the past vine. He's setting aside the nation of Israel that never bore any fruit. And he's taking the church and putting that in the place of Israel to be his true vine. That's not happening. The church is not the vine of the Lord. If Israel failed with their prophets and their good kings and godly people here and there, and priests and Levites, if they failed, how can the church, who's made up of sinful human beings, redeemed the influence of the Spirit? But how could we as an organization think that we could do any better? The church is not the vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine. You know, look at the church today. It's become a mixture, not Calvary Chapel, okay? Just listen to me. It's become a mixture of religion and politics, where people in the churches actually get their feelings hurt and are prejudiced towards one another. Not in our church. It's become a place of moral corruption, of lukewarmness, of setting aside the simple and all-powerful gospel of Jesus Christ for money, like the rest of the world, celebrity status, for relevance, wokeness, social justice, and infected with worldliness, the church in the name of relevance and a political approval has become something that the Lord never intended for it to be. Thank goodness there are still churches that are worshiping and genuinely. Thank goodness there are places where the word is still being taught. Thank goodness there are places that are still dependent on the Holy Spirit. But the church is not the vine. If you think Calvary Chapel is the vine, you're going to be disappointed. God's answer was not the church, but Christ himself. I am the vine, the true vine, from the foundation of the world. Redeemed men and women now have the prerogative to be woven into him and to receive our life from him. In chapter 14, it said in verse 20, At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. There's a union in all of that between the individual believer, the branch, and the vine. Jesus is the vine. And we're told to abide... And it says that we do that, we'll bear fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith. There's the bearing of fruit. 
And once a branch is in the vine, it need only abide. Not by our intellect and our IQ and our ability that fruit is born. It is truly and simply by abiding in Jesus. Because he determines the fruit. Now, any vineyard, physical, literal vineyard today, natural, what anybody who's setting up a vineyard does is the secret of producing fruit is to get your hands on the best vine or species of vine that they can possibly get your hands on. And that vine, because it's a good vine, will produce healthy branches. It will produce clusters of grapes. But that's not all that is needed. You must have an expert, diligent vine dresser, a husbandman, Jesus says who understands the care of the branch, the washing of the branch, the pruning of the branch, and the taking away of the branch that shouldn't be there, that will hinder the growth and the fruit in the lives of others. Jesus says, I am the vine, but my father, he's the vine dresser. It doesn't say, okay, understand this now. Jesus is the vine. And just go and abide in him and then kind of do your best to bring forth fruit. That's not real encouraging. He says, no, he gives the life. We abide in Christ. And his father is the vine dresser, the husbandman, who washes, who prunes, who cuts away the fruit, fruitless branches that are just drawing life that would hinder our growth and hinder our fruitfulness. That God the Father knows how to take those things out of our life and prune them off and move them away from us. And that's not always pleasant, obviously. Hebrews 12 tells us, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The branch, you and I, what we're asked to do is abide. That means, it's heritage, abide once and for all. It's imperative, you need to abide once and for all. It's active, you need to do this. You need to abide once and for all. And it's plural, all y'all need to do this. You need to abide once and for all in Christ. That's what he's asking us to do here. God has placed us into Christ. He's not left us to ourselves. You know, Philippians tells us, Paul tells the Philippians, being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God the Father is working in our lives. He's pruning. He's washing. He's cleansing. He's doing those things. The care of the vine is his prerogative, his own reputation is as involved with the branch as the vine itself. The vine dressers, the father, 
as he's showing that this here. You know, we look at this and we think, okay, 12 times, Lord Jesus, in this chapter, you tell us we need to abide. So then the question is, are we? I mean, it, it cuts me deeply to sit and examine myself. Are we abiding? Am I abiding in Christ? Not Calvary Chapel. Not the pastorate. Not in my marriage. Not in being a father or a grandfather. Am I abiding in him? No fruit anywhere else. No fulfillment anywhere else. There is life we are to draw from the vine. What are we abiding in? Are we abiding in what we think our wife or our husband should be? Are we abiding in what we think our company needs to pass? Are we abiding in our Ferrari collection? Are we abiding in fentanyl? Drugs, substance, alcohol. Are we abiding in pornography? You see, this whole abiding issue can be so personal. Are we abiding in bitterness or racism? Are we abiding in fear and worry? In revenge? In gossip? Where do we abide? It's such a challenge for you and me personally to be alone with him. And to say, Lord, all of these other things that I kind of get hooked into really don't produce the life and the fruit that you want to see in my life. And it is exclusively you that produce that fruit. It exclusively comes from you. And I know that part of that fruit is that I'm going to love my brethren. Lay down my life for them. That's what you say. Part of the fruit of abiding in you is that fruit will be hated by the world. No surprises. But this is something that he's spoken. You know, I sit and I look at it. This is something that Jesus is saying to us today. Not corporately, to you, to me. Our Savior, our sweet Savior is saying, abide. I am the true vine. Stuff. I am the true vine. There are past vines that have failed. There are future vines that will come under the wrath of Almighty God. But the present vine, here today for you and I, the Savior who never leaves us or forsakes us, are we abiding in Him? Do we need to sit alone and take part of our heart that we let be somewhere else and say, Lord, you know, I abide in you, um, you know, 
70% of the time. Uh, it's just 30% of the time I'm abiding somewhere else. You know, when I got married, you say, I pledge you my troth, right? You didn't know what a troth was. You didn't even know you had one. <laughs> but it's fidelity, faithfulness. And if my wife said to you, honey, I'm, I'm pledging 95% of my faithfulness to you. Yeah, just a little bit there. I'm, my 5% might end up somewhere else. Oh, that's comforting. That's consoling, isn't it? Where are you going to go? The young people that are here. Forgive us. For the degree we have failed. To bring a living, life-changing Jesus to you. Not Calvary Chapel, not Christian Academies. Jesus. Not the routine of going to church every Sunday, coffee shop. Jesus. Jesus. And it's a question I have to ask myself. Am I abiding, Lord, in you? Abiding, settled down, continuing, at home, dwelling in him, in you, Lord. Or is my life being pulled in so many other directions? Am I abiding in my iPhone? Am I abiding in pornography? Am I abiding in bitterness? Am I abiding in gossip? Am I abiding? Christians can do those things. And we can come to him and say, Lord, this needs to change. And the Father will come with a pruning hook. And care for us. And cleanse us. But it's a question we need to ask. There's a generation coming behind us. The church is always one generation from distinction. Extinction. Have we passed the baton spiritually? Rightly to the next generation. Are we letting our kids see movies we'd have never seen when we were young? And there was a moving in the spirit. Are we making allowances for things we'd have never make allowances for if we were abiding in Christ? We have to ask ourselves those questions because there's another generation of young people that are growing up in the Lord that have to see in us the reality of Jesus in our lives. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. It's not a Christian school. It's not Calvary Chapel. It's none of that. It's something you sit alone with and say, Lord, am I really abiding in you? Or do I hold the right to, to have these other little side trails that I take and get involved in these little carnal things or Lord are you really on the throne of my heart or do I maintain my own little throne somewhere else 
And he lays it out in front of us because of his great love for us. He looks at these 11 men and at all of us and knows what is going to happen that night is horrendous. But when he looks into their eyes, he says, I am the vine. Not Israel, not your past, not the world. And 12 times, abide, 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 abide. 12 times. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't want to die a crabby old man. I want to be like Jesus. But it's only as I behold him, as I sit before him. It's only to the degree I give my heart, my mind to him. It's only to the degree I'm willing to make him first and everything else about myself. Nothing. Are we willing to do that? Don't anybody say yes. It is a transaction that you in your own heart have to work out with him. It's not funny. What are we abiding in? What do we abide in during the week when nobody's here, nobody's watching? It's a challenge to me. What do I abide in when I'm alone? In his love for us. In his willingness to spread out his hands on a wooden cross and bleed his life into the the ground so that we can live. In the middle of all that, he says, abide. I'm the true vine. There's life nowhere else. We step into glory, into eternity. All that is there will be what we derive directly from him. It won't be part of our retirement plan for where we work. It won't be part of what we did and who we were and the accolades we had by our name. It will all be from the vine and from the father, the husbandman. I'm going to ask Rich to come. We'll sing. We're going to sing two songs. Maybe more. But I think it's a great time for you to say, all right, Lord, here I am. I'm in compromise. I need an attitude adjustment. I need revival. I need to repent. Let's stand. Let's do that. As we sing these things, let it be a a corporate prayer that rises. Let it be something that we're all meaning from our hearts. And I encourage you, if you want prayer about this afterwards, come up, we'd love to pray with you. I encourage you, if you know in your heart you need to repent, that you come and let us pray with you.
I encourage you tonight as we gather for prayer this evening, we're going to pray about the issue of abiding and how real that is in our lives and ask a gracious outpouring of God's Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, we settle our hearts before you. You know us so well, Lord. You know us better than we know ourselves. Lord, you know we need life that only comes from you. And you know we need to be tended, cared for, pruned, cleansed. So, Lord, have our hearts today, Lord. Have our hearts today, Lord Jesus. And we pray you're blessed, Lord, as we lift our voices, that this would be a prayer that would come before your throne. And, Lord, hear our hearts as we cry out. Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name.